sleeper must awake. Oh well, apparently I lied to you. <laughs> so for the first two episodes of this podcast, I um, made a point of letting you know that I was not your host because I planned on only recording essays that I wrote on this uh, show. Um, but also, uh, recently, I've been interviewed for my book, my own book, and all those great conversations, deep conversations that I had with people, with very cool people who like-minded, who were like-minded, uh, well, it was too much fun. I just had to um, um, continue the discussions and I'm, I was not going to wait for people to invite me on their shows. Uh, so I just thought, you know, you know I'm going to invite them. <laughs> so here we are today. Welcome to this uh, third episode of Hopscotch Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Dominique Vallée. And today I am interviewing the great, I think that word applies, the great Miguel Connor um, from the Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio podcast. Uh, some comments about the episode. I was extremely nervous. <laughs> I kind of am right now. Apparently, I'm not getting used to the camera very quickly. I guess one day I uh, will. <laughs> and especially interviewing someone for the first time like this. Imagine uh, the first time you, you pick an, uh, an instrument, a guitar, for example, and then... Uh, the same day you have to do a show. <laughs> That's kind of how it is, you know, like you interviewed a person and uh, you uh, can't just practice, you know, you have to put it out there. So uh, doing the interview was a lot of fun. Listening back was not as much fun for me. <laughs> But still, I'm um, swallowing my pride and I'm sharing this um, great conversation with Miguel. I mean, at the very least, Miguel has very, very uh, inspiring things to say. He's very knowledgeable. So I hope that uh, you can still get something out of this uh this discussion that we've had. Miguel was very helpful. Actually, uh, it's it shows that he knows what podcasting is and um, maybe even more like what doing a first interview is like. So he was very generous with me, very helping. Um, oh yeah, I have to um, do a little uh, quick correction. Uh, Miguel mentioned that um, uh, I was also in recovery, as in um, <clears throat> recovering addict or uh, alcoholic or something like that. Uh, 
Uh, it's not the case, although there's no shame in that. I just wanted to, just to be fair with people who are in recovery, that I am not. Uh, I have my own struggles with addiction, but it's not drugs or alcohol. And it's kind of a day-to-day -day kind of thing. Anyways, uh, we've talked about that in the past, he and I, and maybe he mixed some infos that I uh, gave to him, or maybe I didn't express it uh, correctly. So there you go. Quick bio before we start. So Miguel Connor, as I said, Gnostic extraordinaire, host of Aeon Byte podcast, Uh, he is also a writer. He's written many books, including Voices of Gnosticism, as well as some novels. And more uh, recently, as you will hear in the interview, he's written a book about Elvis, but the mystical side of, El of uh, Elvis, his, um, yeah, his spiritual life, his uh, interests in uh esotericism uh something that's uh, that's that i didn't know about elvis and that i think most people will learn about reading this book that apparently will come out next year uh other than that miguel has created the virtual alexandria academy where he teaches ancient and modern gnosticism and also And I think in the last two years, he created uh, the Astronosis Conference. This year was the second edition. It was great, great lineup, great uh, speakers, very interesting stuff. So check him out. Check him out. <laughs> all right, so all the links uh, to reach Uh, Miguel, or to at least learn about his work, will be in the show notes. So without further ado, further ado, <laughs> here we go with the interview of Miguel Connor. We are not live, but we're recording. <laughs> Miguel <Hello>. Connor, <laughs> so happy and so lucky, so fortunate to be talking with you today on this uh, very first interview of the Hopscotch Chronicles podcast. Um, it's the first uh, for me too, <laughs> first uh, interview that I'm doing. Uh, I kind of feel like, you know, uh, what was his name? Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you remember that show. For people who don't know, it was a, it was a um, reality TV show about people with problem problematic dogs. And he kept uh, uh, taking in that, that old pit bull uh, just to help calm younger dogs. <laughs> So I kind of feel like you're the old pit bull today, man. <laughs> to help <laughs> calm me down. I guess I'll take that I, as a compliment. I don't know. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So thank you for being here, man. 
My pleasure, my pleasure. Yeah, I remember my first podcast like it was yesterday. I don't want to be like old man yelling at the clouds, but I remember how nervous it was and everything else, and it went really well. But then I remember my fourth podcast. I had to do this like three times, and the guest was really nice. The recording got destroyed. It was a different era. So first one was great, but all the challenges that come, they will come. So one podcast at a time. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, uh, usually it's hard to get me to stop talking. So uh, I'm relying on my natural propensity to uh, just blab away, hoping it, it'll be interesting. <laughs> All right. So, well, I mean, since you're such a part of my podcasting experience, uh, I thought, actually, I've been listening to your show for uh, many years. And I think I'll have, I plan to have many different types of guests, maybe some that uh, wouldn't, maybe wouldn't have listened to your show before. So even though I, I listened to your podcast for so many years, I don't really know how it started. So I hope it's not a boring question to start <laughs> things with, but what's the history, maybe a quick elevator pitch of how did Aeon Byte start and, you know, what motivated you or uh, just what pushed you in that direction? No, it oh, it's not that long of a story. Once I became interested in Gnosticism and started reading the Nag Hammadi Library, Lang Pagel's The Gnostic Gospels, Philip K. Dick, uh, all that sort of Gnostic ecosystem, uh, apocryphal gospels, I was so excited that I wanted to share it with the world. But at the same time, I was just a newbie. There's, for example, I couldn't write, I was no way I was going to write a book, probably couldn't blog right at the time, because again, it was so new. So the logical thing was to simply ask experts questions. And that's what you do when you learn, right? Whether you, whatever you, you try to ask a, an influencer or a thought leader or industry leader questions. And I thought, well, I want to ask people questions. But I also want to share this with the world. So, bing, it was podcast. This is before the go way before the golden age of podcasting. So, I was fortunate enough that as the idea bubbled, there was this new. Uh, again, there was no Apple, there was no iTunes or anything back then. There was a there was an individual who started a uh, channel or a website called. Uh, free thought radio, which was mostly atheist stuff, but it was like a, an internet radio. So I asked him, I pitched him the idea and he gave me the slot. And then uh, the gods were, were, the gods were happy, I suppose, because I was able to get uh, individuals like Bart Ehrman, translators of the Gnostic, of the Nag Hammadi library, leading scholars, uh, right off the bat, they were very friendly and very open. And that's it. Started recording one after the other, and before I knew it, I just kept going. Amazing. I mean, I guess it's the best one. It, 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 you're pushed from behind and not from with the wind facing forward, you know, like you're trying to get into something. And I think uh, actually it gets into the, um, to me, the, the reason I was asking this question is, well, you, you know me as the self-knowledge guy because I wrote a book on the subject and you uh, graciously uh, interviewed me on your show about it. So um, 
I guess asking that question for me is to is um, relates to how did you feel this push, you know? But that said, uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious that it came naturally, and that's the thing that we tend to uh, <laughs> to ignore so much because there's so much chaos in this world. So we try to have strategies to navigate it, and uh, but when usually the the uh, the the our fuel uh, comes naturally when we just <laughs> basically shut up and just listen, you know. So yeah, for me, it's uh, I guess asking that question as a has kind of a a deeper uh, meaning in a way. And moving on from that, well, kind of staying in the same. Um, I think for for me, maybe for a lot of people, especially people who are into those ideas of of um, uh, reality as a simulation and <laughs> things like that, and being in an illusion, I think it's uh, sometimes um, very tempting to fall into nihilism and just to not find any real uh, push to do things and to create something new because eventually what does it mean? You know, like if it, if we're living in a, I'm, I'm going in deep right now, (laughs) but you know, like if it's, if we, if it is in fact, uh, a black iron prison, why start, um, Aeon bite? Why start anything? Why write, you know, it's kind of a difficult question, but. Yeah, exactly. I would say because uh, that's the story you've chosen. If there's no meaning, then you can give the universe meaning. Now, of course, I believe there is some sort of uh, there is some sort of purpose and uh, movement to the universe. Even when you were talking about chaos, even in chaos theory, there's something called a reorganization, a complex systems order themselves to create an aesthetic, a rhythm, a view. And you find that a lot in uh, chaos theory, even, uh, I mean, even things like the Fibonacci sequence and others. There is a, a a rhythm, a pattern, a harmony to the universe. And the question is, what is your place in the universe? If you can't see this pattern, then you need to do some self-reflection because it is there. You can see it in your life. You'll see a pattern in your life if you look back. Why did this happen? How did I end up here? Why do I keep up ending in this relationship or this job? There's a pattern and then there's a movement. And uh, once you really go inward and uh, reflect, contemplate on it, you'll see that it does lead to somewhere. It does lead to a higher message. It does lead to a purpose that you have in this world. So, and I understand the nihilism. I mean, the Gnostics toyed with it, but so the Buddhists toy with it too. I mean, nothing matters, which is kind of true. We're just uh, magnetized karma and only a few get out. So why bother? Well, it's kind of what Neo tells Agent Smith in the last um, Matrix movie when he's about, when he's getting his ass kicked and he kept saying, oh, Mr. Anderson, why do you keep getting up? It's hopeless. Love doesn't exist. Da, 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 da. And Neo just says, because I choose to. Because it's fun. 
because it brings purpose, because it brings energy, because we are humans and we must move forward. That's how we defy, that's how we've been able to defy space and time, create art, uh, and do things that, that seemingly defy time and space. So it's all part art, science, uh, our ability to create. It's part of that hermetic thought where we can become fully divine and fully human. So that's kind of why you do it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, finding a why. A why. W-H-Y. <laughs> Creating a why. Because, I mean, yeah. Uh, did, yeah, did you, well, did you ever, because I'm wondering, because for me, like listening for years to uh, people like you, people like uh, Gordon White, uh, Mitch Horowitz, um, and kind of, uh, you know, getting to the, 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 the middle of my life <laughs> I, and tending to, you know, kind of comparing myself to other people, um, people who inspire me. Uh, You know, like, I, I wonder if uh, you've ever had to struggle with nihilism because it feels to me like people who, you know, like build these these uh, great body of works and great platforms and uh, the, you know, there's kind of maybe, is it something that's innate or did, did you ever fall into this? Because that's my life story and if, and I don't want to make it all about me, of course, but um, just doubting myself and doubting the reasons and, and just get it being frozen by the void and frozen by, yeah, nihilism and non-duality in many ways, you know. Uh, it froze me in my steps, you know, until I found um, something that just resonated that I can't really explain. But I wonder if people like uh, you and the people I mentioned, like, Well, of course, you can't talk for the others, but do you ever struggle with that? You know, like what or have you ever struggled with that? Uh, this why deep, deep why feeling? You know, only about a hundred times a day. That's it. No big deal. Oh, yeah, I think <clears throat> I think that's normal. You question, what am I doing? Is this even worth it? Uh, Is it even moving the needle forward? Uh, maybe there's nothing on the other side. Uh, I get that all the time, of course, but uh, that's the game of the archons, and that's, uh, that's how you realign yourself because uh, if you do have, if you've had an experience, a higher world experience, then uh, you know it, it is true, and the whole world wants you to forget that experience, which we've all had in dreams mystical rituals uh, other places creating art looking at a sunset you know there is some uh, just sublime beauty and energy that has flooded your body but we are creatures that's perhaps the curse of humans we are where the fallen angel meets the rising eight we are between heaven and hell and we carry those energies so there are times when yeah I feel, what's the point? Why not just uh, fall into materiality and just eat a lot of chocolate or go back to drugs and just, uh, as uh, the Kurgan says in uh, 
the Kurgan says in the movie Highlander, it's better to burn out than to fade away and just just, <laughs> just go out with Kali in pure destruction. But again, that's when I realized that we all have a higher purpose. It, it's undeniable. It's like Jung said, you have no choice but to individuate. Your entire psyche is working for you to individuate and become whole. What is the reason beyond this world of Dominic or Miguel? We don't know. But in this world, there is this place where you individuated, where you're whole and you find transcendence and a sense of belonging and a, a sense of healing others. And as above, so below. So if it's going inside my head, then it is happening with the entire universe too. So there is a purpose. It's uh, the problem. I think you just made the big mistake you've made, which is the killer is that comparing ourselves to others because your journey is completely unique and my journey is completely unique. We can take, we can learn from others and uh, use each other's as signposts, but it's a completely unique journey. When you end up comparing yourself to others, that's when the arc of the trap comes in. Because you start losing individuality, you start allowing mechanistic things. And I still get myself in that trap. Like, why am I not here, but this person's over here? Why is this person over here and I'm over there? And you know, that's, uh, that's a deadly trap. You cannot do that. Your journey is your journey. And once you find that gnosis, what others do don't matter unless they need your help. Yeah. As you'd say, very well said. <laughs> I love what you just said. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's actually, that's something I, I, I remind myself to, in my, in my language, when I address people about spiritual stuff is... Never, like try not to get into this uh, oh just let go you just have to let go and because you're already enlightened you're just gripping to your it's your ego you, you know and like all this those platitudes those very like making it sound easy is i feel very uh disrespectful to uh people's uh endeavors especially when they're very serious about it because that's something uh, I feel has to be addressed is um, in spirituality in spiritual circles we, we find a lot of people who kind of cut cut corners well we find we find both some are maybe too serious and they get mad and they get because they get well getting mad is kind of a sometimes a good idea but uh you know, like the, it gets too serious, but for a lot of people also in like more new agey uh, circles. Um, yeah, we see a lot of uh, treating things not seriously, seriously enough and uh, ending finally not changing much, uh, not really expanding your consciousness, if you want to call it that, or... So to be really dedicated to uh, this search, I think, is primordial to actually make, uh, make way. Uh, and also, there's something that you, you mentioned. Uh, you talked about Jung uh, saying that it, it'll come naturally in a way, individuation. And it's funny because the, the, the uh, well, no, it doesn't personal... go naturally. 
Oh, but I mean, like, there's not that it comes naturally, but there's uh, maybe I misunderstood, but there's something that wants you, the universe wants you to, to, uh, that's, is that more like it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to individuate. The question is, how much pain do you want? I mean, you know, we've both been, I believe, yeah, you're in recovery too. And we both know the drill, right? If we do what the program says, if we follow what our sponsors does, whether we do the fourth step, whatever, there'll be relief. If we don't, there'll be pain and relapse. But one way or another, as long as you don't relapse, you're going to get to insight. It's it, it's how fast do you want to get there. So mm -hmm. the other problem, comparing ourselves to others. There's the sloth part, which is also very, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. Oh, I don't want to do this. It's too much work, and I might have to look inward. So um, <laughs> these are always a pitfall. And, of course, I fall into them. I mean, I know exactly what I need to do right now to get myself even more, to get myself in a sense of peace or closer. But, you know, I'm going to fart around and make excuses. You know, <laughs> it's what Jung said, uh, the, the defeat, the, the victory of the self is the defeat of the ego or the awakening of the self is always the defeat of the ego. Cause our ego has been programmed with certain agendas and certain ways of thinking and being, and that's sort of the, the struggle. Yeah, and to absolutely to see this very clearly, how our ego works and how it takes us like a moth towards some fake light, you know, I think that's the first step to, uh, well, I don't know if I should call it, should use the word enlightenment, but something akin to that, or at least to a, some type of awakening, you know. So, wow, hey, man, I mean, we've just started <laughs> and we're already super in deep i was taking notes you know like it's my first time uh interviewing someone and i was just try trying to figure out like i don't want to um uh, try to steer too much the conversation but there's things that things that are genuinely um interest me and i don't want it to be too heavy but not too light either and um well, it's I like really it because, uh, every time i get on a podcast it's can you define gnosticism you know it's kind of boilerplate what i have to say so it's nice to, to jump in the deep waters off the bat so kudos <laughs> <laughs> i love this yeah well i mean uh for people who don't know you and your work and or they that who don't know gnosticism that much there is so much that you've already said about this. Uh, I don't feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to bring something new to the table and uh, like, maybe that's why I'm trying to take you <laughs> to, to these very, well, I'm saying that and it's, I'm not controlling much right now. <laughs> so, but it's funny because- no, there are many people who will write and say, oh, it's not, they'll write on social media or send me emails or messages. Oh, this is all going to need to lead to nihilism. And I'm like, no, I already made the arguments. Why? Yes, there is a, there is a kind of nihilism. It's sort of your, the alchemical destruction of your ego, which means there is a transformation. There is a negretto. There is a staring into the abyss. 
kind of thing and the abyss stares back uh this sort of hero's journey into the dark underground and it, everything seems lost and everything is breaking apart but you run into the treasure that is certainly true as i've been saying because yes your ego or you say your worldview must die that's certain there is a death your worldview your prior beliefs uh, your habits your program and it does feel like a death it certainly is a death in certain ways because you are being transformed or you're slowly transforming into another light but all you need to do is just look at the historical gnostics i mean you've read the text you know oh my god we're trapped by the archons and the demiurge and they're raping eve and they control our minds and we've got the counterfeit spirit and every kingdom is ruled by satan is it but then there is this sense of uh joy and these beautiful hymns and this uh laughing at the face of the universe in a nietzschean way so all you have to do is look at the ancient gnostics and realize hey their texts are filled with just this amazing, beautiful, poetic joy. And historically, they were very happy, balanced people. Very, they were loved by their communities. They were, uh, again, they were in, they were individuated. They were in a sense of balance, so they could handle the world, which is better than most people can. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we'll have to talk about the Gnostics, and uh, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> And I, I understand that that it's um, it's kind of strange to talk about the Gnostics. It seems to me, with my very small knowledge of this subject, um, but where um, and it's funny because I've been told by people, oh, that your thinking is very Gnostic and your book is very Gnostic, and um, like my my best friend is a is a Taoist priest, and I keep I. I'm, I'm a very DIY guy. I don't follow very, uh, I don't really follow traditions, but I'm still interested by, by them from an, um, a human standpoint, you know, like before any beliefs starts to form, uh, what arises naturally in our humanity, you know, like even before uh, the light uh, manifests through the ego, you know, so I don't know if I'm being very clear here, but um, so to me, this uh, DIY aspect to spirituality is something that's really important and not not often addressed because it's it's um, it's a tricky area, you know. Like, um, and recently I've been wondering. The, just this DIY spirit, you know, that we've seen in the punk and grunge movement, and nowadays, I mean, it's uh, you can make a movie on an iPhone, you know. So, where did it start um, historically? You know, like what are the first examples of that? Uh, so, I was thinking about it from a, a spiritual standpoint. I was wondering if the Gnostics were, in a way, the first DIY spirit—looking uh, sp mm. for the right word. Well, you'll get what I mean. Uh, you know, the 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 first to experience um, God and Gnosis through themselves first, because, as I understand, they um, they valued authority of self. 
uh, over the, um, the church or uh, an external God, you know? So within spirituality, were the Gnostics the first punks <laughs> of, of religion or, or spirituality? Uh, I guess you could say that. I mean, I don't even think you could say that about punk. I mean, look at a band like The Clash. Do you like The Clash? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, who do you think uh, Strummer was? Who do you think was uh, Strummer's, Joe Strummer's idol? Who was the entire band's al idol? And they, in fact, their, their album, London Calling, is based on this person's first album. Elvis Presley. Uh, uh, so they weren't yeah. making stuff. They had, they had a template. They had an on. They honored this figure who was their god, you could say. And they said, "Okay, we are going to. We've got the essence." And in fact, Joey Ramone used to say, "Yeah, Elvis Presley is the essence of punk rock because of his countercultural, uh, syncretic, uh, really almost uh, hermetic." force that he came into the scene and these punk just they just kind of the ramones and the and the class just sort of uh they tapped into that energy and they innovated to make it work for them uh and of course there's the idea that you know there's anarchism counterculture all that you could say the gnostics did the same thing they they were the inheritors of this ancient egyptian magic and these ancient egyptian mysteries and they sort of uh, took it on their own to the next level. Obviously, they were also influenced by uh, Jewish mysticism and uh, Hellenistic thought and all that. So that's what they did. I mean, nothing happens. Nothing happens in the vacuum. And as some as as um, Jan Culiano once said, the mind is based on binaries. There's nothing too complicated about the mind. So you're always going to have the orthodox and the orthodox the anarchists and the status you know you have these two forces that are playing chaos and law and these forces are always manifesting in the world and the gnostics sort of came out in the side of chaos or anarchism and not even the anarchism i think uh what always gets overlooked is that gnosticism is a shamanistic religion it's closer to the shamanistic uh spiritual modality than anything and that goes again to the binary there are there are those in ancient times who would be fine well i'm just gonna sacrifice to zeus sacrifice to this god go about my day or a christian i'm just gonna go to church on sundays and do this and then hopefully i'll go to heaven or a jew oh i'll go to the temple on saturdays and then go about my day and then there are those who have this thirst for this experiential side of the universe they want to experience higher worlds they want to travel mentally to places that nobody knew existed and these were certainly the gnostics of ancient times just so um i would say that's also part of the gnostic vibe i don't know about i mean diy i don't know if you could say they were that they were certainly they certainly believed in tweaking things like the punk rockers did yeah we're gonna we respect this. We understand it deeply, just like the Clash understood Elvis deeply. The Gnostics understood the Egyptian mysteries deeply. But we're going to tweak it for a for the times we are in, without 
you know, losing that essence of whether punk, Egypt, Osiris, whatever you want to call it, that Elan Vital, that chaos. I love it. Um, there's so much in what you just said. Uh, yeah, I mean, it resonates. The To me, when I say punk, I mean, it's, it's something kind of... Uh, uh, kind of vague, and I, I think uh, I, I've been um, trying to embrace the term grunge even more because I have to. Uh, I mean, it's I'm late Gen X, you know. So uh, to me, it's it's part of my life uh, growing up and my values of yeah DIY. Just do things by yourself. Don't wait for someone to tell you. Oh yeah, you're good now. You can do this, or you know, like the the way that punk rockers started bands. You know, like oh, we we saw the Ramones playing this show. It was mind blowing. Um, uh, you have a garage, so you're the drummer, and you look good, and you have a big personality, so you're the singer. And you know, like that's how they started. And you know, at first they suck; they they're they're not really good. But th the importance of punk is uh, uh, truth and uh, rawness. You know, like going to the essence of things. So I. Feel maybe it's my it may, not a bias, but I'll call it a slight bias to what I was thinking about the Gnostics because I think about gnosis, and to me, it's it uh, the word itself um, implicates uh, a direct relation with God and godliness, you know. So, and of course, you're going to be inspired by others. Um, and but you know like it has to be self-managed and tweaked uh for your own uh vehicle and uh so but i mean of course we're going to talk about elvis <clears throat> and it i didn't know you would go there you know like uh, talking about elvis with because i didn't know that about the clash but it makes so much sense you know like uh it makes a lot of sense that Elvis is would be punk, <laughs> you know. And it's funny because I was when I started wondering about okay, we're, we have to talk about Elvis because well, just for people who don't know, Miguel has written a book. It's done. It's uh, it's uh, written right. Your your book yeah, about Elvis. It's yeah, well, working with the publisher should be out in about a year, okay. a little bit longer. Yeah, there's still some steps, but it'll be out. Cool. So just to put, yeah, just so people know that you've, you've written that book. And so I was wondering, like, what can I, like, I have to stay, to be honest, I mean, I've never listened to Elvis. So I started to, in actually in meditation, to just bring his... Uh, image in my mind and some very strange memory came back up when i started uh, getting interested in uh reincarnation the idea of reincarnation which was very basic at the time you you know you die and you just come back in as someone else i was about i don't know 13 14 and i remember thinking maybe i was elvis 
Because I, I learned that he died. I know, I don't think that, by the way, I, <laughs> I was 14 and I, I didn't think that even back then, but, uh, because I knew he was born, uh, he was, he died in 77, but technically, uh, I would have reincarnated a, a, a bit over a month before he died. So <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> but that idea was so cool to me because I'm like, I don't like, I've, I should probably listen to Elvis now that I'm more mature, but not really knowing about uh, anything about him or his music. I, I resonated with his personality, his vibe, you know? So it makes sense that, you know, there's, a, there's something a, a bit punk about him and the way I've heard you talk about how he approached uh, spirituality also is something it feels, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it does feel a bit DIY, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once he got the, te the bug for the occult, it was like throw everything in the kitchen sink. As I, I write in the book, Elvis was a very obsessive person. There was no... Uh, middle ground well, no matter what he did he was he was in he was in and uh once he really started to understand he got a taste of the alternative spiritualities uh, he was always interested in religion uh, even at when his early 20s he believed in reincarnation didn't think there was a hell consider you know he was an evangelical raised as a pentecostal he had his idea but once it kicked in that was it. I mean, and we're talking early 60s when it really hadn't bitten. The bug hadn't bitten the rest of the American generation. He was ahead of his time. And he would, whenever, wherever he'd go, he'd have workers carrying 200 books of occult, occultism with them. And he would sit there and just read. He would be doing Hollywood movies. And in between takes, he would sit there in the back and start reading and meditating. So... He was just throwing everything. I think because what what opened the doors when he realized that there wasn't a Jesus, there was a Christ consciousness. That's what really, be, and he realized that everybody has a Christ consciousness, and there are some throughout history that have just simply developed this Christ consciousness more. Buddha, Zoroaster, Moses, you know, he had... And he thought the Freemasons and all these, you know, even Aleister Crowley. And he just thought, well, the purpose of somebody with a Christ consciousness is to awaken somebody else's Christ consciousness. Isn't it? And then eventually this creates a healing of the world and a better human history. And thus you could include all these other disciplines, yoga, astrology, uh, Mat sex magic, ceremonial magic, and it would all work. So he was definitely, yeah, he was definitely, as they say, very syncretic. But he followed orders. He tried, you know, if he read that Yogananda said, you have to meditate with a certain way, he would do it. But if there was if somebody said, you have to do numerology a certain way, he certainly he certainly did it and just sort of incorporated things into his into his practice. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that sounds, well, I mean, I guess the, the thing that I, 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 I keep pointing people to, which is this, um, being very, very honest with yourself in the, on the spiritual path. If you really want to 
get somewhere and stop, you know, suffering in a way. You have, you kind of have to throw everything at it uh, just for it to be successful. I, I mean, but some people, I guess, um, and probably Elvis uh, is like that. Is they're just very good at at um, going for the. Yeah, I mean, like responding to na the the nature's or the gods this is something maybe I, I, i'd like to address with you also but you know like following that that push that universal push they're maybe just uh very talented or is that something you have to learn any thoughts oh it's probably a bit of both i think with elvis it was it definitely was the suffering too because uh I think when he was born, he had a twin, uh, Jesse, and his twin died at birth. He was born before him and died. Um, and that, that, that destroyed his psyche because he could, and that's no, that's actually the research shows, uh, when a twin dies at birth, the other twin is, well, it does permanent psychological damage. Philip, it happened to Philip K. Dick too. Yeah. And they become, they say, have yeah. this, they have this survivor's guilt and they start wondering what the big mm. questions are in life why did he die and i lived when we came out of the same canal around the same time we have the same organs and body you know what happened and uh why do i you know so this brings the bigger questions in lives and it sort of dominoes and uh, you get these figures who yes are very mystically inclined very metaphysically curious uh but also tend to be very driven very self-destructive because again part of them is already missing and they don't know what to do and they're sort of uh yeah they're sort of uh untethered fireballs through life which was both philip k dick elvis there's a few other liberacci's another example um and these questions arise and of course with elvis because he was raised in a very religious background uh, God became, you know, first and foremost, and Jesus. But again, once he once he got the cosmic Christ, that opened a, who, a complete new world. I can read the Gospel of Thomas, cosmic consciousness, and all that. And then later on, it was the death of his mother. I think he was only uh, he was only in his early twenties when his mother died, who he was very close to. So that also led him again into the deeper questions of life. Uh, also, with Elvis, he grew up in abject poverty. Uh, probably like third world, like North Korea poverty in the South. So there was a question as to how did I, well, how was I able to break through as a musician and become very rich? And do I even deserve it? You know, these questions that kind of hit you when you are in this, in these places. When he was a kid, a tornado hit his little town and I think killed like 40% of the town. So that question asks, like, why did I survive? Why does God cause evil? Why is there suffering? And this sort of snowballs into again trying to find the big answers and experience uh the divine so you can see the whole picture mm -hmm. i mean <laughs> i i guess it's kind of a well i don't know if we'd call uh, elvis a healer i guess so i mean from what it, what you've been talking about but it's this uh getting being broken uh, in a way 
uh, when someone's really young, I mean, for sure, it's going to open uh, people oh, up to some yeah, of you bring another, yeah. You bring another important part. Throughout history, there's this concept of the wounded healer. And those who have a talent for mystical experiences, uh, healing, natural healing. Again, Elvis could heal headaches, uh, broken bones. He healed some. He could heal people of cancer, all documented in big biographies. But this individual that that has this talent is usually noticed by the tribe. And made into the shaman. Hey, you're going to be the new shaman. You've got the gifts of healing and walking to spirits and all that. And But this individual is usually called the wounded healer. Because this individual mm -hmm. has either had some sort of physical, mental trauma that has opened up the channels of communication, which trauma sometimes does. And this person is also very driven to understand why these things happen. But this person is permanently traumatized. In fact, the tribe wants to make sure he's permanently traumatized. Many shamans end up uh, drug addicts in their tribes and just completely, you know, dysfunctional mentally. But they have this talent. The, the channels are open. And that's what you could say Elvis was. The trauma, poverty, losing his twin, uh, the tornado, loss of his mother, just... Uh, and, and he came from a generation of healers and witches. His mother had that second sight where she could see spirits and so forth. That helps too. But this combination really made Elvis and made any shaman out there. And it, I mean, I think all people are natural born healers. But unfortunately, trauma is one way that the channels open. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh being a i don't want to call it call myself a okay i'll call myself covering non-dualist um <laughs> but seeing things like that i mean from that standpoint from a um from outside of space-time just looking down at one's uh human experience and think thinking about suffering and the pain of being broken like that uh speaking from a, a personal experience it's hard for me to to just uh, reject the idea of pain and kind of run away from it you know because there's it enriches one's life uh so much you know and uh from what i've heard about uh you talking about elvis it's not only that i mean even becoming a celebrity and uh, becoming rich. And I mean, for sure, this comes with its lot of suffering also. But he didn't uh, steer away from suffering. He, I mean, his life wasn't all pink flowers and butterflies, you know, <laughs> like it seemed very chaotic. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess uh, pain has contributed to his success in life. Is that, <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> well, like any artist, I mean, yeah, that's how you, uh, as, a, as, a, as a union said, yeah, you have a big shadow. You are trauma, you are, you are in pain. You understand pain and suffering, so you bring it forth. You bring that shadow out. And it comes out as songs, tunes, uh, great movies. Uh, 
And the problem is when you can't integrate the shadow, which musicians don't do, because if you don't integrate the shadow, it starts to destroy your psyche, eat your psyche. So unfortunately, with individuals like Elvis, eventually, yes, they're the shadow will win, if you know what I mean. The, the complexes will win, and it happened to so many rock stars. Uh, and it certainly happened yeah. to Elvis. He died very young, 42. So, um, oh, wow. It's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty wild to me that, I mean, uh, all this stuff that you've gathered for the book, it's like, how, like, why wasn't it? more obvious you know like how come we didn't because you know like there's a lot of artists uh well maybe not a lot but some of them when we try to when we start to examine their their uh their body of work we we you know we get hints of oh okay i see why you t that song title or whatever but i don't know uh elvis enough to pronounce myself on that but it doesn't seem as obvious you know like how come it was so hidden hidden in plain sight maybe it was just waiting for you to unravel it <laughs> it was the right time maybe i was just the vessel because again there are many <laughs> there are many conspiracy elvis books poorly written books that sell a lot but They have no, it's just bad research where Elvis is, you know, uh, a lizard person or he's part of the Illuminati or he was a Satan, you know, or he was, you know, brought down from the mothership. Although he did have many extraterrestrial experiences, but there's many sensationalistic one. And you saw those in the tabloids in the 90s and so forth. You'd go to the supermarket and Elvis has returned and he was a, this and that. But my research is from their biographies. I mean, this is Priscilla Presley, his bodyguards, relatives, close friends, his spiritual guru. I mean, the Colonel Parker's. I mean, these are people that were part of his circle and they saw all the strange, you know, they saw him embrace spirituality and force him to sit there in circles and meditate. And they would see him, uh, his ability to manipulate matter and weather and heal people on the spot. And how he could travel outside of his body and predict the future. I mean, they were there, but for some reason it's been marginalized because it's all in their biographies. I mean, it's right. Anybody could find it today. It's nothing. Uh, but I think also with Elvis is that his life was so chaotic and out of control. Even uh, his stepbrother would said is like, there was always something so sensationalistic and greater to life. It's like, He could wake up and say, oh, we're going to get on my plane and travel to Hawaii. And then the next minute, you'd be Frank Sinatra would be walking in. The next minute, there'd be an assassination attempt. The next minute, he'd be shooting up TVs. <laughs> or You know, it was so insane when you were with Elvis Presley for years that the supernatural stuff was just sort of part of the whole grand, uh, whatever, emperor rock style thing. And mm -hmm. somehow he got put out into the world that he was some sort of conservative Christian, which he was far from it. He was really a magician, a shaman, uh, a, a, an occultist extraordinaire, a natural-born mysticism. And you're right. I mean, you can't study David Bowie without getting into his uh, 
into his ideas about Gnosticism and ceremonial magic. You can't get into yeah. Iron Maiden without Thelema. You can't get into Jimmy Page without Crowley. You can't get into the Beatles without Eastern spirituality. You know, these things are so tied to them. But Elvis mm-hmm. just got away with it. I think because people still focus on the the rock star and the concerts and the again shooting up his hotel room and all the stuff that was really just so uh larger than life that uh mm-hmm. it didn't calm down it's just like now I, and i think the world is ready to to hear it because alternative spirituality is more accepted than ever well i for one can't wait to read that book miguel I mean, uh, as I said, it's it's I, it's it's been very interesting to me to meditate on the figure of Elvis, the the egregore of Elvis, if you want to call it that, and feel some kind of affinity towards him, even though I know basically nothing about him, you know. So, yeah, I I'm, I, I eagerly await that, and uh, eventually, I mean, I don't want to talk to. Uh, Uh, quickly, but when the book is out, I'd for sure I'd spend a whole episode just talking about that with you. Uh, sure. That said, because um, you've mentioned uh, rock stars a lot and movies also, and um, just to take it in a kind of different direction, um, when people. Uh, listen to you to you speak and your the aeon bite show you often refer to um gnostic movies or gnostic tv series you know and although i i i kind of feel just intuitively what you mean by that uh i found that for me it's hard to put into words like what is actually a gnostic movie or gnostic series Um, and another question arose is, is there Gnostic music? (laughs) And if so, what would it be? Yeah, it seems to be, uh, it seems to be kind of absent. Uh, There are, I've noticed bands, uh, who use Gnostic themes and obvious Gnostic terminology, like calling the names of the Archons, Yaldabaoth, and other uh, mm-hmm. Sophia, but this is usually in the metal scene, usually Scandinavian. Uh, there's a few bands that do it, and it does come up. Also, an alternative rap. I've seen it done before, especially the more political, anarchist type of rap music. It'll talk about simulation and the powers that control us. So you do have it there, but in In popular music, I mean, uh, obviously, man, I would have to think about it. I can't. I mean, there are. Yeah. There's always songs. Somebody has a song about Gnostic themes, and you know, mm-hmm. because we can all relate to the. We are trapped in the world. We need to escape. We need the information. We need to go inward. So you can find that from Genesis, the Carpet Crawlers, to Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for so. It comes up, but I don't think there's any band I would say that's completely embraces Gnostic themes. Like, let's say, the Beatles, and you can see the Hindu Eastern themes in their music, or the Rolling Stones in their Satanist phase. You can see Satanism coming out. Not like that, yeah. The, there are examples. I think 
Tori Amos, her album, The Beekeeper, is completely based off of Gnostic Gospels. And there's a few oh. other examples. So she was very much okay. into the body library. Because as, I mean, I don't, I admittedly don't know that much about the details because it seems to me that Gnosticism is very, very complex. And if you want to study it, it's it's kind of, uh, yeah, an ever-changing things. And I'm a thing, and I mean, <laughs> because it's so rich and so uh, varied, you know? So well, I get it. Religion, I mean, think about it. Let's say I, I wiped your memory. I'm the Demiurge, and I wiped Dominic's memory, and I take everything about Buddhism or Taoism from your memory, and then I showed up on this podcast and gave you a 10-minute explanation of Buddhism, you, would, you wouldn't get it, right? You'd be like, okay, that sounds it. Or Christianity. What? God committed suicide? I don't, you know, <laughs> you would be like, okay, but it takes years and to under, not just understand it, but like I said, get it deep underneath the skin where you're like, ah, this is, you know, the, the essence of uh, the ethos of a religion. So that's, I don't see Gnosticism mm -hmm. or complex than christianity or any other religion i mean again if i wiped your memory of christianity and told you this story about a talking snake or a guy parting the waters that's no stranger than this idea of the demiurge controlling the simulation right i mean when you get familiar to a religion the the ideas don't seem as strange even though they are strange <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean uh we're gonna i think we're gonna start wrapping up soon so um, yeah it doesn't say how long we've been recording for but it should be about uh um but yeah i mean uh well as i said like to me <laughs> if i can say it like that narcissism is it at the moment is more based on a, on a feel. And whenever you, you talk about a, um, um, uh, a Gnostic movie or Gnostic series, I don't know why, but I'm like, oh yeah, I see it. Yeah. Or sometimes, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll watch a movie and I'm, I'll be like, oh, that feels Gnostic. And then you'll, you'll mention it in an, uh, you know, an episode or something. So, and also, I mean, is Elvis's uh, music and work in cinema or something, is it Gnostic in a way, you know? Is that an expression? Because, I mean, um, he, like, as a, as a person or idea or egregore, he does feel Gnostic to me in many ways, you know? So... You know, like it's it's kind of the same thing for punk and uh, and grunge. To me, that it's uh, especially grunge. I think it's it's hard to to uh, associate all the bands together because they're so different aesthetically. You know, well they are all like the flannel shirt thing. But I mean, I remember when I I started playing guitar. Like I I I, I could learn um, Nirvana in a week, like a whole album, but I couldn't manage to play a Pearl Jam song, you know? So, uh, but there's the essence of grunge still, it's hard to explain what it is, but there's something that you feel that's common to all those 
uh, all, the, all those bands. So I wonder if there's such a thing as just what is the Gnostic feel, you know, and is it, can you, can we see it in Elvis's work or other people's work? Certainly. I mean, it reminds me of what, uh, when somebody came up to Louis Armstrong and asked him what is jazz. And he's like, if you have to ask, you're never going to figure it out. So, <laughs> so it could be the same. Uh, well, Elvis is, he's interesting because he never wrote any of his songs. He had a feel for the song. And he himself said, uh, what most people don't understand is that blues was not only a huge influence on rock music, but gospel music was very influential, especially in the South and especially to black gospel music. And what he what he wanted was the essence of blues and gospel, which is we are trapped in this harsh land. In fact, some of us are just getting out of slavery, but this is a place of poverty and harshness. We're lost. We are longing either for this God of the Old Testament or we're longing for these spirits of Africa who we've renamed, you know, the devil and this and that. And he loved that or he was so attracted to that pain, that longing, that melancholy, that what that desire to go to your true home. And he found mm -hmm. it in both uh, gospel and the blues And that was fused into rock music. And obviously Johnny Cash and others had that vibe. They were bringing this existentialist Christianity, that Kierkegaard kind of moodiness to it. And that's what created rock. And as you know, that's very Gnostic, right? We're cast in a harsh world. We want to get out. What's this information? What altered states can I get into? Which was what uh, Elvis was doing and Pentecostalism was doing and What do I need to get out and connect to others to wake up? And that became rock music. And how is this music going to uh, affect the world? Well, of course, the powers that be were not happy. People forget when Elvis came out, he was like so famous. Like uh, he was ten uh, times more famous than Taylor Swift. But he was also ten times, a thousand times more hated than Taylor Swift or anybody. I mean... Half of the world hated Elvis because he was destroying all these old systems of music and fashion. And he was melting the races and he was telling people, you know, expand your spirituality, all this stuff. So, again, that's very Gnostic because you are challenging the powers and principalities of this world, the rulers of this age. So all in that makes Elvis very Gnostic. Now, metaphysically... Yeah, he, he was an adept of Yogananda, and he said, you know, this world is just an illusion. It's nothing. There's a reality behind reality. He believed in this ontological evil. He had a vision of this evil giant monster that wanted to destroy him, so he, he thought about archons. And he was familiar mm -hmm. with the Nag Library, the Book of Enoch. He read the Gospel of Thomas. So there were certainly parts of Elvis from a metaphysical standpoint that were certainly Gnostic. I love what you're saying. Uh, to me, it kind of feels like, uh, you know, like Gnosis doesn't belong to Gnosticism, you know, in a way. I don't know if he, you know, like Gnosis is this personal uh, thing, you know. 
That's what the uh, scholar David Brackett said. The most ironic thing about the Gnostics is that Gnosis is the one thing that's not exclusive to the Gnostics. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it belongs to the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the Gnostics I, were I, I, marketing it, but every you know, it belongs to other traditions. Yeah, I, I often think of that in the context of Buddhism. I'm not a Buddhist, and I've but I've been more. I would say I'm more knowledge knowledgeable in Buddhism and maybe a bit of Zen Buddhism more than Gnosticism. But yeah, I mean, even uh, when people describe uh, Kundalini experiences, and I've, I, I mean, generally it's related to uh, yoga, I guess, most of the time. I'm, I've never done yoga, but I've heard people talking about their experiences. I'm like, oh, well, I've, you know, like I've been through that. <laughs> you know, like, so that's why to me, like, you know, getting to the, the, to the meat of the thing, you know, like to the bones, actually, uh, the metaphysical bones of the, the spiritual path, you know, that's the most important thing to me. And uh, I mean, I feel um there's a lot of people around who kind of even though they they either belong or are really interested in specific uh traditions and uh uh cultures um yeah they they tend to the same to go to the same things that can be uh i i remember uh an interview of jeffrey mishlove he was interviewed actually on a, another podcast and he thought, he said, uh, usually the mystics within their own religions, um, the mystics of the, the how, how did he say it? <laughs> within religions, there are mystics. It's not because you're religious that you're going to be a mystic. And usually the mystics of every religion, they get better they get along better with each other than sometimes people within their own tradition. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. I would agree. Yeah. Gnosis is, uh, just for all humanity. <laughs> I'm going to finish on, uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, to end Bishop Stephen Heller said at the doors of Gnosis, all isms must be left behind, including Gnosticism. You're in a place where language is gonna and ideology just falls apart. No need to take it with you. Yeah, absolutely. Miguel, there's one last thing that I want to to tell you. <laughs> I had an epiphany today. I think I think Pac-Man is a Gnostic man. Yeah, yeah. You're not yet. In fact, He's in the here. maze, and he just goes around eating mindlessly. And once in a while, he stumbles upon a red pill, and he mm -hmm. starts eating archons. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what Pac-Man stands for? Program and control. So oh. it is a conspiracy out there. It has been noticed by uh, others. Oh, really? So my epiphany is just, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was the collective unconscious. It came from the collective unconscious. But others, in fact, it appears in a episode of Black Mirror, the whole Pac-Man motif is Gnostic. Oh, uh, yeah, I kind of remember that. 
Listen, that was great, <laughs> for sure. I am so grateful. I want to take this opportunity to to tell you and people also uh, about your your generosity and your um, your genuineness. And you know, like it feels like you're you're really devoted to this this. Uh, um, sharing of, of all this knowledge. And I'm saying that because I've been bugging you through uh, Patreon <laughs> mostly uh, because like writing this book and the, the book that I, I wrote, I did it, I mean, of course, all by myself for the, the whole thing, but I had um, people giving me advice and you gave me so much advice. You were so generous. And just the fact that you're here today, when it's the first episode, I mean, it's very, very appreciated. I, I um, oh, my pleasure. I my just pleasure. have to thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. It was fun. I had a good time. Great. So, as people say when they end podcasts, where can people find you, Miguel? So, you go to thegodabovegod.com. Or that's it. They'll find it's all, all there. My, yeah, my webpage with the podcast, books, articles, social media, all that good stuff. Thegodabovegod.com. Just put it on your show yeah. notes. They can click it. It'll all be there. All right. Well, thank you again. Uh, and happy Gnosis. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah, sometimes it's not happy because, again, your false self yeah. is destroyed. So, <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Miguel, for the wisdom and for the great words. And we'll see each other out there in the Pleroma, Canoma, both, maybe. Both. <laughs>So you've made it to the end of this Hopscotch Chronicles podcast episode, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed doing it. And I thank you so much for your attention, and I hope you, uh, you're benefiting in a way or another from this conversation. So if you'd like to follow my work, whether on this podcast or my uh, personal work, you can go to Twitter or X and follow me at domi underscore valet d-o-m-i underscore valet same username for uh, instagram if you prefer that platform you can also go to the official website for the podcast which is hopscotchchronicles.com and if you'd like to support the podcast as well as my personal work you can do so by subscribing to my patreon the address is patreon.com slash Dominique Valley, D-O-M-I-N-I-C Valley, V-A-L-L-E-E. -E. There you'll find video and audio versions of the, uh, the episodes without any commercials, as well as special episodes on every Sunday where I take my Sunday afternoon tea with you guys. All right, thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep reaching for the light.